This is a podcast of the Church at Indian Lake. When uh, I was a pastor in Texas, there was a man who kept coming and telling me about a Christian-based museum that was just a, a few hours away. And this museum, I don't want to tell you too much information because perhaps you're related to the owner of it or, or so forth, but this museum had a great theme and a, and a great um, a great vision. And this man, he caught the vision because before he even went, he was talking to me as the associate pastor about how we could get transportation together and how we can promote this museum and how we could take the church and so many people would be inspired. He was just fascinated with the concept. So I encouraged him. I said, why don't you go down? Check it out. Find out the details. We'll present it to the pastor. He came back and a few weeks later, shaking his head and laughing because after driving all the way there and after having all these high expectations, this groundbreaking museum was a double-wide trailer. No offense to double-wide trailers, but when you are expecting a professional or a world-renowned museum, and your expectations aren't met, it can be a little disheartening. And I think all of us could think of those things. Your, your mind is probably racing right now, and you're thinking of a time when your expectations were very high, but you saw either an event, or you met a person, or you encountered a situation that it didn't quite meet your expectations. Well, this is exactly what the people who were rebuilding the temple encountered when we came to chapter 2. They were about a month into rebuilding the project. And it was about the time of one of their biggest festivals. And it was almost like if we could give a modern analogy, trying to get the church ready for Easter or for Christmas Eve. It was a special time. And if you've ever been part of a construction project, if you have a deadline and you're trying to get close to the deadline, you know, you'll rush the work. And you've been there before. You're in the middle of the project and you look up and you're like, man, this is not going like we thought. It's not taking the form that we imagined. It doesn't look like we thought it would. Well, this is exactly what here in chapter 2, if you've been following the series, we know that the children of Israel had returned from exile, a small remnant, and they were rebuilding the spiritual foundation and they were trying to rebuild Solomon's temple. And as they got into it, those who remembered what it used to look like got discouraged. I want to share with you today just a few words. I'm not going to give you necessarily phrases or sentences, but I'm just going to share with you a few words from this passage that's going to help us organize in our mind what was going on and how it applies to our life. And the first word is this. Yesterday. The word yesterday. It had been 66 years since the temple had been destroyed. So it's very probable that the older people that were part of this remnant could remember back, they were in their 70s, maybe their early 80s, and they were able to remember what the temple was like before it had been destroyed 66 years earlier. And that's why Haggai asked this question. And he asked this question in verse, uh, verse, uh, the beginning of verse 3. 
He says, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Who of you remembers what it used to be like? You need to understand that Solomon spared no expense when it came to building the, the temple. And really it's one temple. God doesn't see this as a first temple and a second temple and a third temple that will, uh, it's a third temple with Herod and a fourth temple in Revelation. It's one temple. But Solomon spared no expense. He used the best material. He used the best um, workmen. And, and this was the showcase of that ancient world, the original temple. And when he questioned here at the beginning of verse 3, who is left who saw this house in its former glory? It's specifically talking about the physical appearance, how the, how the temple used to look. Who among you saw what it used to look like? Because evidently, those were the ones who were struggling. You know, many times, our yesterday can paralyze our future. You don't know when we're in trouble. This is when we're in real trouble as individuals and as a church. We're in trouble when our memories of yesterday is greater than our dreams about tomorrow. When our memories from yesterday are more real and stronger and more desirable than our vision for the future. When that happens, we are in deep trouble. And that is discouraging. There were very, very discouraged people. Can I just pause for one second? Are you guys able, are they, are you able to hear me appropriately? Do you have the monitors on here? Okay, if you can just turn those off. Thank you. Those people were were very, very discouraged because at the beginning of the project, the project is moving on, and here it is, a little way, one month into the project, and one month into the project, the older people evidently were saying, it's not going to be like it was when we were kids. It's not going to look like it was when we were kids. Ezra gives another account of this. Ezra chapter 3, verse 12, and this passage is meaningful to me because about 10 months ago I felt like God gave me this word for the church in a different context. But this describes what had happened when 16 years before they had first started and they had rebuilt the altar. It said, many of the priests, this is Ezra chapter 3, verse 12, many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes. Yet many, and we assume the younger ones, shouted aloud for joy. The people, so the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard afar off. Here we know that 16 years earlier, there was just this different reaction. And I would suggest not one was greater or worse and but the fact is this, is that those who had seen the temple before were responding differently. Can I tell you that oftentimes the comparison between the good old days and the present day, when we begin to compare them, not when we remember and honor our past, that's appropriate, but when we begin to compare our past, many times that could cripple us. Many times that could jade our opinion. Many times that could prevent us from what God is doing today. In this day, in this context, the people, they said, look at the end of verse 3, Haggai asked them, how does it look to you now? 
does it not seem to you like nothing? Does it not seem this temple, when you're just a month into building it, does it not seem to you like it's nothing? And many times that's how we feel when we are always comparing what God is doing today with what he did in the past. When we look to the past, we have perspective. When we look to the past, we have all the information that we don't have today. And so when we're comparing today to the past, it's not a fair comparison. When you start something, whether it is starting a new marriage, whether it is training a child, whether it's birthing a new ministry, whether it's starting a new business, whether it's changing schools, whether it's moving to a new city, you can't compare the full development of the past to the embryonic stage of today. There is a development process that you've got to let God develop things. You have to let God cause full development to take place. You have to allow the God who chooses to move through process, complete his process, and understand and trust that he is at work today. He who began a work in you will carry it to completion, but God is not interested in recreating the past. God is creating something new in your future. He has new things. Jeremiah 29.11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. God has a plan. God has a plan for you. He has a design. He is creating something new. It might seem insignificant. It might seem small. It might not be moving at the pace you want it. But that's called trust. That's called hope. That's called faith. That it is He who is at work. It's not your idea. It's not your choice. You gave your life to God, didn't you? Isn't that interesting? I met with a friend earlier this week, and he said a brilliant line that he didn't even realize how brilliant it was. He was talking about hard times he was going through, and he said, you know, that situation was hard, but I gave my life to God anyway, so I can't let it stop me. It's his life anyway. It's God. He's the one that chose it. I think it's so important that with young people that we do not diminish their dreams and their successes. We need to nurture the dreams and successes of those who are young. When I was a youth pastor, I remember that I broke a barrier a numerical barrier, and I was so happy about this. This was a number, I, I wanted to break this, and that number was significant to me. And I remember sharing that with some other pastor friends, and a couple of them were really happy and rejoiced with those who rejoice that the scripture says. But one of them said, oh yeah, well, one time I had a ministry that was twice as big as that. And I knew that. But that didn't change the joy of my accomplishment or what God accomplished through me. You know, many times we diminish other people's joy. And I don't know why we feel the need to do that. It's like if someone reaches an accomplishment, hey, you know, I just moved into a three-bedroom house. And we're like, oh, really? Well, you know, the four-bedroom houses are available in that same neighborhood. You know, we always want to diminish people's joy. We don't want glory in them. And I almost feel like that kind of tension was happening in this passage here, that Here it was, the people had got the right priority and they were rebuilding the house and they were getting ready for the festival. And then Haggai asked, who among you, he's setting them up so we're getting there, who among you saw the first temple? Who among you saw its glory? Right? 
Who among you saw what God did in the past? He was setting them up because they were so focused on what He had done in the past. We have to nurture the dreams, each other's dreams. We have to celebrate each other's victories. I remember John Eldridge in one of his books was talking about the fact that how he doesn't like video games. And he, he is very engaged in literature, but his son loves video games and he used to always, um, you know, kind of uh, turn up his nose when his son was playing video games and those type of things. And then all he realized, that was his child's glory. So now, when my six-year-old takes his Nintendo DS and he's playing Clone Wars... And he comes and he says, Dad, I've reached a new level. I act like he just scored a touchdown for station camp or he won the Super Bowl. Why? Because he is glorying in that video game in his six-year-old mind, nurturing that dream. Do you understand what I'm talking about? But when we're stuck in the past, we can't see what God's doing today. Can I tell you, God's doing a great work here I thank God for what He's doing in other churches around our city. I thank God what He's done other other pastors who are my age or whatever the case is. That's great, great, but this isn't a competition. We have the glory in what He's doing here among us. The change lives here. The Word of God that's being preached here. What God's doing today. This is our time. This is our family. This is our time. And he's doing something. There's a, there's a great glory that's going to happen, that is happening. But sometimes we don't have our eyes open to see what he is doing today. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Dream with those who dream. And when discouragement comes, because people will discourage your goals and dreams, they'll diminish them through comparison, through belittling them, through maybe comparing them to the past. Here's another phrase, because this phrase is, is huge in this passage. Be strong. Be strong. As a church planner, having been through two church plants, this is so important to me. This, is so, this has been so important to me. This phrase, be strong. Uh, planning a church is a, is a very unique thing, and, and many of you can identify with that because perhaps you planted a business or whatever, but uh, church plants are very fragile and uh, they have a, here in the States, they have a very unique dynamic to them. And, uh, if anyone gives you, uh, the perception that you're just gonna, you know, open up in a school somewhere, we did this in Texas, we did it in Gallatin also. If you're just gonna open up a school and then it's gonna be great, you're in charge and there's no problems, oh man, don't listen to them. God better call you to start a church because it is a, a tough, tough challenge. There's a tough, tough work. And people want to challenge. I tell you, that's my work, but you've got a tough challenge too. I don't know what it is. You give your illustration right now. Your job, God might have placed a special child to you. And you're caring for a child with special needs. And I don't know what that's like, but that's a tough challenge. You have an analogy here. You have an illustration here. And you have a reason to be discouraged. You know who often discourages a lot, and they don't mean to, are adult parents. You ever notice that? Now, not my mom, because she's awesome. My mom, where's my mom? She's encouraged, she is nothing but encourager, and I, I mean that sincerely. But I've observed this in working with other people that, that there's just something about that, that adult parents can, can discourage us. 
and diminish what we're trying to do. So, so you understand what I'm trying to say? Uh, maybe people don't realize that the new perspective you're bringing to your life, to your organization, to your company, to your group, to your ministry, to your church. You know, you're trying something for the first time. And that is good. I mean, we don't need to just repeat things over and over. You're trying something for the first time. But people will say, but it's not like it used to be. So how do you, strong, you respond to that? Look with me at verse 3 there. Verse 4. He says this. He finishes says, how does it look to you now? Does it not seem like it's nothing to you? Does it feel like there's no progress? Now verse 4. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. That's from the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Now, I'm going to give you a mini-sermon if you're discouraged. I want to give you just just a, a thought here from the Lord that if you're trying something for the first time, if you're birthing something, if you're doing something new and you're discouraged and people don't understand and people don't appreciate what you're doing, can I give you a word from the Lord? Be strong. He said it three times, and he said it specifically to the leaders. He said it to Zerubbabel, he said it to Joshua, and he said it to the people. Be strong. Can I tell you, there's sometimes that you have to just pull something within you and find strength and say, I am going to be strong, I'm going to face this situation, I'm going to face this opposition, I am going to stand up and admit this mistake. You know, that's where most leaders lose it there because they never admit a mistake. I am going to face the consequence. I am going to face the challenge. I am going to be strong. This thing continues throughout the Bible. Ephesians 6.10, Ephesians chapter 6, talks about the full armor of God and how we ought to live our lives and we ought to have the full His full armor in our life. And at the end of giving this great analogy about the armor of God in verse 10, he says, uh, Paul writes, Finally... Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he says it again from another perspective. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Can I tell you that it's, it's time for us to quit being spiritual and emotional wimps. We need something called fortitude. To not shrink back, to not give up, to not let go, to be strong. That's who God made us. Be strong. You know the people uh, that were rebuilding the temple, Haggai said to them, listen, the glory might not look like it used to. You don't have the gold. You don't have the building material. You don't have the the, uh, dominance over the world that Solomon did. It's not shaping up physically like it used to be. Do you give up? Do you stop rebuilding? Do you quit the work? No. Be strong. Have some fight in you. I mean, where is the heart? Where is the fight? God, we have his image in us, and there is a fight within you. There's a determination within you. There's a resolve within you. And sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with your emotions. It has everything to do with your volition. Setting your will and saying, I am not giving up. I am not stepping down. I am not stepping back. I am going to be strong in the Lord and everything that he has for us. On another passage, 1 Timothy 2.1 says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So he says there, listen, if you're discouraged, be strong, 
Oh, Joshua. And then I love this part. Back to verse 4. Back of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 4. And all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. Be strong and work. Just keep going. Keep your prayer life. Keep reading the scripture. Keep going to church. Keep loving that lost person. Keep making the phone calls you're supposed to make. Keep doing your assignment. Keep working. Don't be discouraged. Don't stop because you're discouraged. Don't stop because of comparison. Don't stop because others might be stuck in the past. You're called to today. You have an assignment from God. You are rebuilding His temple. You're rebuilding His house. Be strong and keep working. Don't give up. Then he goes on in verse 4, For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Now, I love this phrase, do not fear. God in verse 4 and 5 tells three things. He says, be strong, keep working, don't fear. That sounds like a cool t-shirt or something, doesn't it? Or like, a, like a marketable phrase, you know. Pipe Nike, be strong, keep working, don't fear. I thought that was funny. Pipe Nike, all right, thanks. But that phrase within there, be strong, keep working, don't fear. Why? Why is that? And then he goes on in, in verse 6 and 7, it's a prophecy. If I had time, I would explain that more, but it was prophesying Jesus. He said, this is what the all, all, go ahead and put prophecy up. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the desired of all nations will come. Who is that? That's Jesus. He is the desired of all nations. And I will fill this house with glory. It's talking about his coming 500 years later as a Messiah and also his coming and his millennial reign at the end of the earth. Now, here's the deal. Now, I love this. I love this. Now, let me just set context for you again. He said this. He came up and Haggai asked the question, Who among you, who among you saw the old temple and its glory? Isn't this nothing? Y'all remember him saying that? But then he said, Now, I want you to be strong. I want you to keep working. And I want you to not fear. You don't have the resources. You don't have access to the gold and silver that Solomon had. You don't have control over the smaller nations to build the temple. You don't have the resources. You don't have what it takes. But God says, keep working, be strong, don't fear. Because this is what he has. Look at verse 8. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. This is Haggai 2.8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Here is the word I want you to write down. I love this word, provision. Provision. God is going to provide for you. If God has called you and God's assigned you and God's given you a vision and you've got your priorities right, that's what Haggai is talking about. It's talking about priorities. You're living for the kingdom of God. You are Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You're putting God first. You're making Him number one. He's giving you something to do. God is going to provide. God's going to provide provision. Let me tell you something. God has has visibly demonstrated this to me this morning. I had a financial need in my life that God answered a gift. Someone gave me money this morning and answered a financial provision for me. 
And, and God, just I believe he did that for me to share with you to say that God is your provider. And it starts with priorities. It starts with, you don't say, God, you provide, then I'll get my priorities right. Prove yourself to me, God. God doesn't have to prove yourself. He said he would in one thing, that's called the tithe. But you put your priorities first, then God will provide for you. This is an amazing revelation. These people, when God called them to do something to rebuild the temple, they didn't have the resources, they didn't have the ability, they didn't have what it it took, but yet God provided for them. God sent His provision to them, and He said, I own the silver and I own the gold. I just need to remind you of something. Your boss is not in control of your promotion. God is the promoter. Amen? Can I tell you this, is that your credit line isn't limited by a number, 500, 600, 800. I think that whole system's goofy anyway. Because there's a credit line in heaven that God's going to provide for you. He has resources for you, and it starts with your priority. Seeking His kingdom first. Putting Him first. There's not. A, I'm not going to pass any more plates this morning. This is not a fundraising message. This is a word from the Lord. This is a word from the Lord, people. Listen, God has given you a, an assignment from Him, an, a spiritual assignment from Him to do something great for Him. And when you put your priorities right, he, right He's going to provide every need you have. And I believe He's going to do that. And He is going to cause the glory to be great. Wow. I have so much more to share with you this morning. I might make this two parts. We're going to have to do that. Let's just share a little, just a little bit more. Can I tell you this? Is There's better days coming. I've got to share since it's my title. Here's the deal. Verse 9 says, The glory of this present house. The glory of this temple that you're building now. Listen, you don't have the authority. You don't have the resources. You don't have what it takes in the natural realm. But the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, declares the Lord. This temple is going to be greater than the one you had before. There is better days, says the Lord. There is better days, says the Lord. There is a new day. God has something better for you. Your life is not stuck in the past. Your life is not crippled by once what was once before because there is a new day. And it's a better day. And you might be already beginning to make excuses in your mind and say, Aaron, you don't know my situation, you don't know my mistake, you don't know how far behind I am or how much in debt or how many relationships I cut off or whatever the case is. I understand that. I understand that in the natural. But when you put priorities right and you start putting God's temple first and you begin to rebuild His work in your life, even though you don't have the resources, God says the gold and silver are mine. I have the resources. I have what you need to make better days. That the glory of this house will be greater than the glory of the former house. God was going to, is going to do a great work within us. What was that greater glory? What was that greater glory? You see, it started off something physical. They didn't have the gold. They didn't have the marble. They didn't have the silver. They didn't have the resources. But what was the greater glory? It wasn't the material things. It was the Messiah who was going to come and shake the nations. It was the presence of the Lord. It was the glory of God. Now, let me explain to you about prophecy 
Sometimes something is prophesied to us or God speaks something to us and it has one type of meaning, but God gives it a separate type of meaning. And these people were thinking the gold's going to be greater. These people were thinking that the building material is going to be greater, but God's saying, no, my work in you is going to be greater than it's ever been. It's going to be greater than you ever imagined. This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information. 